Hello, and welcome everybody to According to Andrew number 92, a review of Historical Dynamics, Why States Fall by Peter Turchin. So this is kind of uh, the last book that I have of his, so I decided to read all three of the books that I picked up by him uh, right in a row. Um, in hindsight, I should have read this one first, because uh, it does the best job of uh, covering everything. But before we get into that, I want to make an announcement, uh, which is that I am on Spotify and some of the other streaming platforms. I'm still working on getting on Apple, uh, but if those are your preferred streaming platform or podcast platforms over uh, Podbean, um, those are now available to you. So uh, go to where you are, see if you can find it. It's either going to be under, according to Andrew or up Chuck McDuck, because uh, I'm terrible at branding. So that's a short announcement right there, and I'll tell you guys again at the end. But uh, anyway, into the book. <clears throat> so this is an excellent book, uh, and it's shorter than the other ones. Uh, it's about 200 pages. This one focuses more on <clears throat> a lot of the different... Uh, so the, the previous two books focused on one specific thing. So uh, his secular cycle is focused on the secular cycle analysis and then a lot of different case studies and how they can get applied. Ages of Discord looked at structural demographic theory and how that applied to the modern United States as its case study. And in those ones, the advantage is he went much more specific into the math. He went much more specific into a lot of the indicators and uh, uh, what's the term? The the indicators and the, the uh, data sets that he pulled from to get his uh, analysis, his review of uh, the material. He doesn't do that in this one because this is kind of a setup. This book was written first. And so this is a setup book for these other books, which is like, hey, Here's kind of the, the general theory. This is what we got to go with. Here's some kind of math that we can base this on. But we need to find ways that we can take uh, these these equations and quantify them, uh, pull the data sets, and, and apply them. And there is some of that in this book, but it's not nearly to the level of the other two books. But those focused on a very specific uh, theory, structural demographic or secular cycle. Uh, and this one covers the, the greater breadth of them. So uh, that I really appreciated. Um, and I probably should have read it. If you're just trying to understand what these different kind of uh, dynamics within historical dynamics are, uh, this is the book to read uh, because it's going to cover all of them. And then if you're maybe interested in the more specifics, then I recommend going to Ages of Discord or Secular Cycles, uh, depending. The, because the thing is, uh, the two uh, ideas that I was most interested in, I don't believe he has a book on yet, uh, and I don't know if he's planning on doing it, but uh, we'll get get to there. So, well, I guess the two are uh, the frontier theory and um, ethnokinetics. But uh, we'll get to that. So, uh, the, it's split into nine chapters, ten chapters. So, uh, there's an introduction, which just goes into why we need all this stuff. Uh, then, geopolitics is the first kind of uh, theory that he dives into a little bit. Uh, each chapter is about 30-ish pages. Uh Collective solidarity, where he goes into this idea of Abyssian, and basically he uses that term a lot throughout the book. That is one criticism I, I probably have of the book, is uh, he kind of has these terms that he uses throughout the book, but then he doesn't have a um, uh, like definition area to kind of be like, oh, this is what these mean. So if you're like not in that chapter, and you're like trying to, and you came back like a couple days later, and you're like, what does this what is the definition of this? you got to, like, flip back to the previous chapter to figure it out. So that part kind of was annoying, but once you got kind of used to the, some of the terminology, it wasn't nearly as bad. Uh, Abyssian basically just means it's based on the theory of uh, a guy, uh, a Muslim scholar back in, like, the 1500s, I believe, uh, named Abyssian that he talks about in here. 
and it's basically uh, cohesiveness within a society. Uh, it's more than that, but that's effectively what it boils down to. Uh, so you have collective solidarity, uh, uh, meta-ethnic frontier theory uh, is the next thing he dives into, and that basically touches on uh, what, how the frontiers interact with each other because at the borders you're going to have these kind of weird spots where uh, you know the french and german border meet or uh, the spanish and french border the french and italian border i, I don't know why i'm using france for this example but uh and so you're going to have some kind of you're going to have more interaction with those groups on the frontier the um more extreme example of that uh back in those days was uh your step people and the people that were in the more wooded area where the steppe people couldn't really break into and kind of the interaction there of, you know, getting pushed into the, pushing into the steppe a little bit, getting pushed back out. Uh, and he has a case, he has two case studies in here. So it's much more limited that he goes through. And Russia is the, the example that he uses for that, that case study where that works out that way. Um, an empirical test for the meta-ethnic. So he kind of does a, a quasi test study here and kind of uh, looks at, whether or not this makes sense. Uh, ethnokinetics, uh, basically the, it's the study of the rate at which uh, cultural assimilation can happen and cultural change happens and whether or not that cultural change is gonna cause uh, divisions because there's not a very strong, people that are coming into the empire are staying their original ethnicity and not switching to the current ethnicity the reigning ethnicity, which is a current problem in the United States, uh, but there's a host of other issues and other things that get into that. Uh, so you have that issue, and then uh, the, the main uh, defining lines he uses for this is the major religions. Uh, your Islam, your Christianity, and your Mormon, uh, uh, how they were spread, and how they were kind of enforced and spread throughout the society and culture and stuff like that. Um, obviously Mormonism isn't to nearly the extent that, uh, Islam and Christianity is, though technically Mormonism is a sect of Christianity. Uh, then we get to def, uh, demographic structural theory, uh, same stuff that's in the demographic structural book of ages of discord, uh, basically covers a lot of the same stuff. Uh, there's maybe a little bit of new stuff in here, but a lot of that stuff got transferred into that other book. So I'm not going to cover that too much here. Um. Then you have Secular Cycles, again, a lot of the same stuff that's covered in his Secular Cycles book. So if you've already read that, great. If you've already listened to my video on that, you know, I'm not going to repeat that here. Uh, I'll link both those videos uh, in the, the corner thing for people who are interested in it. Then he goes into a case study and he goes through each of these different cycles where he he kind of... Because the thing is with, with these is uh, your meta-ethnic frontier, like it's... You're, there's aspects of it that it's like... Some of these are better applied to the decline, and some of these are better applied to the rise. So your demographic structural theory, yeah, it does cover the rise and the fall and stuff like that, but it's better at understanding why things collapse. Same with your secular cycles. It, it's better at understanding why things collapse, where uh, your meta-ethnic frontier theory is better at understanding how things coalesce and start the, the rising uh, action of a society in a polity. And that was something that I, I'd been wanting an answer to forever, and I couldn't find it. So there's uh, Vox talks about ethnicity and stuff like that. And I always kind of had those questions about, well, what about the frontiers? What, how, does, how do they interact? Um, what, what causes, like, why on this semi, it's not arbitrary border, but, like, on the border of France and, and Germany, like, why are people on one side of the line... Why are they French and why are the people on the other side of the line German? And why do they identify with one or the other? And 
in all honesty, they don't necessarily identify it. It turns out, as you kind of dig into this stuff, that it's a lot blurrier than it seems. There's pockets within France where it's like they didn't even speak the French language. They had their own, like, unique language within France that they spoke till, like, 1860 or something ridiculous. And I still think there's pockets within France where that's, that's the case. So uh, all that stuff's kind of crazy when you think about it when you're, at least as an American, that's something that seems kind of weird. Uh, to me, uh, but that's kind of the nature of how a lot of these ethnic uh, dynamics developed over time. Uh, but I think it, it gives the best understanding, the best rationale for understanding how these dynamics worked and how, uh, why this group identifies as this versus this group identifying as this and how that can change over time as uh, the central authorities in these various regions weaken and, and have, have their highs and lows. So it'll be... Uh, I think that's the meta-ethnic and the uh, the meta-ethnic frontier theory and the ethnokinetics, I think, are the best for understanding our future and where things are going. Uh, uh, basically, to give a summary of what the meta-ethnic uh, frontier theory is, is uh, people on the frontier have to remain... Basically, the people in the center in the cities, they get soft, and the people on the frontier have to remain hard and and determined... And, but they also have interactions with all these other cultures more than the people in the center. And so that causes them to culturally change over time. And eventually that causes such a schism with the people in the center versus the people on the frontier. That the people of the frontier effectively became become their own uh, ethnicity, their own na uh, nation. And then uh, they take that frontier and they uh, conquer the center. And then they become the ruling ethnicity and the, the ruling nation within the nation state. And that's generally the idea. And so... He had good examples of how this kind of happens over time uh, with uh, uh, France and how you had the Carolingian Empire that fell and then you had the Burgundians who were vying with the, uh, uh, who was it, the, Ava is it the Avangards? Something like that. Uh, and I think some other group. And so then there was that battle for who was going to be and they were constant and like basically because they were warring constantly, they were constantly at the frontier. A lot of the reason that you had such a growing in the European area was because basically everybody was on a frontier, and there was, especially after the collapse of the Roman Empire, there was constant vying and, and repositioning and fighting until we're in our current state. But, you know, there's a lot of places that lasted for three, four hundred years that all of a sudden started to collapse. Um, when you took it, look at like France and stuff like that, there's a lot of um, nations that you wouldn't even recognize or even think of today that lasted for three more longer than the United States has lasted. And so, and you don't even think about them anymore. And so that's something to kind of keep in mind when you're thinking, oh, there's no way the United States could collapse or, uh, you know, it's going to cause, it's going to be a, a going to need to be some major event. Like, you know, the, these other nations lived for a while and then they stopped existing because of a lot of different factors. So it's something to keep in mind. Uh, but it's definitely, if you're trying to understand that aspect of why nations rise, fall, how a nation gets formed, this is a good book to read for sure. Um, it covers all that stuff in the the uh, point. Oh, it's also I like how it's written because it's at the end of each chapter, uh, in the conclusion, it's just a bullet uh, series of bullet points that goes through each of the things that's covered in the chapter. So if you are like I don't know if I want to like if you're someone who's like really diving and trying to use read this book for very specific information. You can flip to the end of the chapter, read the summary, read all the bullet points, be like, oh, okay, I want to know about this, this, and this from this chapter. 
and so then you can start reading the entire chapter. Or you'd be like, oh, this doesn't cover information that I care about, move on to the next chapter. And so you can buzz through this really quickly if you're uh, skimming it for very specific data, um, which is really nice. Uh, that's a, a great way of writing it for uh, the research-minded person. <clears throat> uh, one thing that I was able to glean from this and kind of pull from uh, this book was kind of why the United States tolerates lower casualty rates, because that's something that I've kind of been bouncing around in my head and I've talked about on, on previous podcasts. And so, uh, you know, one of the possible things that kind of came up through this book was the uh, ethnic fragmentation that exists in America um, and on top of its ge geographic location. So America is already isolated, so there's not really a reason to politically uh, vie and fight for a lot of the stuff that we... Uh, we don't need to go to Europe uh, to fight things, whereas, like, in France during World War One, World War Two, like, Germany was coming into their country, right? Like, you don't really have a choice but to fight. Uh, America doesn't really have that, that problem. Obviously, we have, you know, immigration issues, and immigration is uh, just the opposite side of... Or is the same coin... Uh, what is that phrase? Immigration and war are interchangeable, basically. Um, and that's from... Martin Van Grebel. But anyway, uh, so because of this, uh, these different ethnicities that exist inside of America, they're willing to uh, die for the clause as a much lower percentage. Um, so basically, what he was talking about with the Abyssinian and, and how group um, groups form is there's basically a certain percentage of the population that is willing to sacrifice themselves for the greater uh, of the group. So he talked about how people act like everyone's individuals, but the basic interactions with how uh groups work means that they can't be because people sacrifice a lot to for the sake of the group and one of the biggest ones is sacrificing your own life for the sake of the group and that just on a a pure um cost benefit analysis for the individual that doesn't make any actual sense so he kind of goes into the idea that uh these these higher ideals are held by certain percentages of the group and the more cohesive and the more uh, identity and solidarity that, that the group has with each other, the more people are going to be willing and the greater percentage of people that are going to be willing to risk their lives to keep and protect that national identity. Uh, this is kind of different in America because uh, that... Uh, passionate percentage is going to be a lower, lower because the amount of people that are identified as American and what the definition of American is has been watered down so much, especially over the years. Uh, and so these people with these different ethnic backgrounds uh, and their willingness to sacrifice for this new ethnic group is usually an uh, ethnic group that is usually an economic arrangement more than one forged by a bond of blood and tradition makes the willingness to fight and die much lower than in nations with people that are ethnically of that nation uh, and is not an empire as the U.S. is. One way to measure, uh, one way to possibly measure this passionate rate, uh, could be the percentage of the population that sign up uh, it when a new war is initiated, uh, but before a draft is instituted, or the percentage of soldiers lost as a percentage of the population before war weariness kicks in, or just the percentage that are willing to die. So a good proxy for this uh, that I always try to think of is like why so many people were willing to die, especially for like Soviet Russia, like. Sure, it's like a totalitarian regime and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, like, people could have overthrown it. Like, it's... Totalitarianism doesn't get... Like, there had to have been some net benefit because 
totalitarianism doesn't just you can't for you can't you can lead a horse to water but you can't force it to drink and tyranny only lasts so long it doesn't usually last the 80 years that it does and the fact that russia was willing to sacrifice 20 percent of its uh population and part of it was a fight for survival right germans were on their soil that's a personal beef kind of thing much more people are going to be willing to die for that so that's an aspect of it but at the same time it seems like the, the rate at which russia was willing to take casualties seems wildly out of proportion for what seems like something that people shouldn't have that great of loyalty to uh but obviously the loyalty wasn't to the state which is where a lot of people get pe things confused but between brothers and between other nationality uh the other people within in your nation uh the other russians and such but i find that one particularly interesting because the the way the state's taking care of people really isn't sufficient but yet uh the national identity between people is strong enough that they are willing to um, not really care about the state situation and fight very passionately to save their, their nation. Um, so, and then I talked about how those... Oh, uh, one interesting thing about the meta-ethnic frontier and, and how he covers most of this book is he kind of assumes, like, there is really nothing, no such thing as a nation-state in his definition. Uh, and to a certain extent, it makes sense why that's not the case, because basically you have, you have forming nation, nation expands to its farthest possible reaches, becomes an empire, the empire collapses. And that's generally how everything's worked. Very few countries or nations have kept themselves in check and been like, these these are all the people that are, you know, uh, Carolingian. I don't know why I'm going to use that one, but Carolingian. And we're not going to expand outside of these borders because this is where Carolingian is, and this is everyone who's here is Carolingian. No one else is in. Like, the only people that act like that are the Japanese and the Chinese. Uh, that I, well, Maybe some other East Asian. But like, it's a very Eastern way of thinking, uh, where the expansionary way is a very Western way of thinking. Um... And even then, like, you can see a lot of the cycles within China, and there's plenty of... Uh, China is such a large area that it's still fairly multi-ethnic, even though it is, like, 95% Han Chinese right now. Um, but, anyway, uh, it's interesting how that... that it's, it would be interesting to see how, if people decided not to continually expand and, and incorporate uh, ethnic groups outside that they can't assimilate into their own culture, what effect that would have on the overall cyclic nature of the, uh, of the cycle. Um, so again, this is a, a great uh, explanation on nations reformed, uh, where other books have focused on how they fall. Uh, since they already in collapse, I see it as more useful to look towards the future and understanding how nations are formed because we are currently in an, at the, stage where a lot of that nation forming is going to happen and uh, the indicators that it takes for how those strong uh, nations are formed so that we can get a proper blueprint and prevent future conflicts and uh, prevent future issues. If like, if you can get the foundation correct, your chances of surviving into the future are great. Now there's no one's perfect and there's definitely going to be a lot of issues, but the better starting structure you can have, the, the better. Um, and uh, it, it's kind of a good indicator on how messy the upcoming conflict in America is going to be, uh, because 
if you look at uh, the meta-ethnic frontier theory, like where are the frontiers in America? They're everywhere, right? Where's the fault line between this group and that group? It's like so blurry and so messy that, you know, we got stuff running between cities. Like, you know, the it's, it's to the point where it's basically neighborhoods, kind of. And even a lot of the neighborhoods are starting to get mixed and stuff like that. And so it, when conflict breaks out, it's going to be an issue where, uh, you know, I, how much can you trust your neighbor kind of thing is what it might come down to. <clears throat> uh, and so that's gonna, it's going to be really messy where people are kind of rushed and, and have to figure out uh, where their tribe is all of a sudden. And there, there's going to be a lot of ethnic conflict there. And then as that gets figured out, it's going to force a lot of people to start moving. That moving is going to cause other issues because you're going to bump into other ethnicities and stuff like that. That's going to cause that immigration and, and migration is going to cause conflict because it always does. And so that's where I see this upcoming co potential conflict. Well, not potential upcoming conflict uh, in America. Uh, why it's going to be such a mess, why it's going to be so blurry because the, the lines of where groups are on the map is so blurry and so mixed that it's going to be an absolute mess. Um, so sorry to kind of end on a, a dour note, but, uh, historical dynamics, excellent book. If you want to understand upcoming, uh, what potential upcoming historical trends that we're going to be seeing and understanding how nations are formed and all that stuff, which is another thing you're going to be seeing, uh, in the coming uh, decades, definitely recommend reading this book. It's a great one. If you're interested in ages of discord or secular cycles, I recommend reading this one first as it will give you a primer for those and allow you to skip over those things. If you are just specifically interested in, uh, those, uh, dynamic models, then by all means grab those books first. But I think this is a good primer to get you to understand those. And then if you want to deep dive more into those specifics and, and better case studies, I recommend those other two books. So, uh, that basically wraps it up here. Uh, like I said, I'm on YouTube and BitChute, and then I'm also on Podbean and all uh, at Spotify, and basically all where all podcasts are available um, outside of like your YouTube or not YouTube, uh, Apple. I'm working on it, but I basically need a approval process uh, needs to go through. But anyway, that's where I'm at. Uh, like and share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Thank you guys for listening, and have yourselves a good day. Goodbye.